0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowitch Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. You're here with Dave and Faisal. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how behavioral finance can make you a calmer more successful investor. And if that's not good enough, you're also going to learn all about probate from an estate lawyer. Um, You know, we talk a lot about volatility in markets and the noise that goes on. and, (laughs) And listen, it can be scary, right? We know this. It can be really scary, particularly for people... Um, who are moving into retirement or living off of their assets, the
1: sensitivity to the swings that they see in their portfolio can On be really both bad. sides. On both sides. You recall there were listeners of this show that called us up mm-hmm. when the, the Dow Jones was hitting all-time records mm-hmm. and the S&P in the United States was hitting all-time records, and uh, they were calling us saying, are you all in the U.S.? Because that's the best place to be. And then the opposite side of that is when they, when they hear a trade war or 400-point drop in the no. Dow Jones or whatever – uh, they uh, they get concerned right. about the downside. Are you are you staying out of the U.S. now? So they're they're relying on I'll, I'll call it market timing because they're they're, they're the volatility up or down uh, really affects them.
0: Yeah, and I don't even think it's a it's a market timing call for them most of the time, Faisal. It's more just an emotional response, like when you get scared, right, it forces people into making bad decisions. And so we want to talk about the psychology behind that, because I think uh, the more education we can do around that for people, the better armored they are against falling victim to one of those bad emotional decisions. We've got Daniel Crosby joining us today. He's a psychologist and a behavioral finance expert. Uh, He's also a New York Times best-selling author on market psychology. So nobody better to help us Understand a little bit about the impacts of this uh, than him. So, Daniel, welcome to the
2: show. Thanks so much. Great to be here.
0: All right. So let's let's talk about this. We you know we we haven't had a lot of volatility in the last two years. We start this year, uh, late January, it starts to spike up, and now we got all kinds of volatility because of you know all of the macroeconomic noise we hear. When it comes to investing, particularly for the you know the risk adverse investor. Walk us through a little bit about some of the uh, the mental traps that someone might experience.
2: How well, there's there's all kinds of things. There's actually 177 different documented sort of behavioral biases that investors fall into. <laughs> and so some of my work has been around taking those 177 uh, because it's not very useful for you to say to your clients, look, there's there's 200 ways that you can get this wrong. Uh, to, to really drill down and see what are the handful of psychological tendencies that underlie these. And there there are four or five, you know, I'll start with one. One of them is this tendency we have towards ego. Um, on average, we as a human species are overconfident. Uh, this is especially true of men. You know, in my, in my latest book, I, I cite research that, that showed one study found that 94% of men uh, thought they were better looking than average. 100% of men thought they were friendlier than average. Uh, we're just prone to think we're we're better than we are at these things, and the market <laughs> is no exception. Right. And that can lead us to take some outside risks or uh, not work with someone who can help us or do any number of, of silly things.
0: All right. So, yeah, 177. I'm not sure we have time to do justice to all of those, but it is, it, it is interesting. I, I am curious if you can speak to whether or not there's any differences between men and women in this respect from a behavioral perspective
2: yeah there, there are large differences and none of them look good for for the men so women both in retail uh you know sort of mom and pop uh women as well as hedge fund managers and uh, professional women outperform men at every turn uh single uh single women outperform single men by about two and a half percent percent a year Um, The best the best investors of all on average are married women, Uh, but even uh, single folks tend to do worse than married folks. But married women beat uh, married men and women across the board show better behavior. Uh, They're more patient. They trade less. They weigh probabilities more effectively. Uh, So it's a shame that they're underrepresented in in professional circles. But women are better than men almost across the board. Uh, by virtue of being less arrogant and more patient.
1: (laughs) That's interesting because anecdotally, we can talk about some of our clients. And when we have couples, especially when they manage money separately. So he has his own accounts managing his money his way with us. Mm -hmm. And then we have his wife managing her money with us separately. Mm -hmm. And the disciplines, the conversations, the approach they take to the money, what they, what they value behind that money, what's the, the reason why they're investing, it is completely different and you do have different conversations with them and we find, at least anecdotally with our clients, there's some that are, that are more um, more active, ego kicks in yeah. or greed kicks in, fear kicks in yeah. a lot faster on, the, on the, uh, the men's side than it does on the, on the women's side with our clients.
0: Yeah. Now, in your in your bestseller, The Personal Benchmark, I like the idea of The Personal Benchmark, by the way, but it's called Personal Benchmark Integrating Behavioral Finance and Investment Management. Can you give us that maybe at, at a high level, frame this for us a bit, Daniel, in terms of some of the, um, I don't know, the framework or the rules? I'm not sure if those are the best words, but the framework or the rules that you would highlight at a high level if somebody wants to integrate both you know, their, the psychology of investing but also you know, good investment management that would meet their needs.
2: Well, you, you set me up there nicely for it when you were talking about how women tend to take a more values-based, goals-based approach. Uh, personal benchmarking is all about uh, ensuring that you have the right goals and the right expectations to live the life that you want to live And not benchmarking to an external index like the S&P or the Dow that you mentioned uh, earlier in the program, Mm -hmm. but really understanding, sitting down with your advisor, understanding the returns that you need to give to to live the specific life that you want to lead and not taking any more or any less risk than is necessary to live that life. And so that makes sense, but, you know, uh, that makes sense intuitively. Everyone's probably nodding their head to that pretty, you know, sensible statement, but it's not something we do. And the fact that we have, you know, the S&P and the Dow and all these updates on our phone, and we maybe don't have our personal goals so ready at hand means that they can get crowded out. But my my very favorite study from Personal Benchmark uh, talked about a group of low-income savers who were barely scraping by, uh, having a hard time setting aside money for a rainy day. And when the researchers, they tried carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, nothing worked until they finally, uh, before these folks made a decision, they had to look at a picture of their children for five seconds before they could uh, you know, make a spending decision or a saving decision. And when they looked at this picture of their children before making a big financial decision, Their savings rates ticked up 250%. So that's what personal benchmarking and goals-based investing is all about. To me, just keeping the things that matter so deeply to you uh, top of mind and having them inform all of your financial decisions.
1: You know, Daniel, I totally understand and agree with you. Every time I come to work, i got to deal with Dave Popovich. I have to look at the pictures of my kids and say, why do I got to deal with Dave? And that's exactly why I come in the office every day. It's my kids. It's not Dave Popovich. So I totally get that. I totally get that. For the kids. Do it for the kids. <laughs> exactly. I like, it. I like that, that visual perspective. I think that's a, a very uh, key piece. So why is it that some people, whenever, even though they know um, what kind of rate of return or savings goal or any type of objective like that why is it that people try to um, still want more or try using different benchmarks Um, it's funny because some some people that we've talked to have changed their benchmark year over year based upon which is the best performing benchmark of that year and why didn't we do last year you know like why didn't we do that kind of return on that one benchmark in our entire portfolio and they they steer away from that well you only need X percent but you want more than X because the benchmark said so what's what's the feeling that's going on there and maybe you can help us understand why does the individual investor feel that way or act in that certain way
2: well you're exactly right you know when you look at the u.s that's done so well over the past few years now suddenly no one wants to benchmark their life uh, to a diversified multi-asset class portfolio where they should truly be they want to benchmark to you know just the u.s well no sensible investor has a hundred percent uh, of their portfolio in in U.S. equities, and so yeah, that's a that's a trap that we fall into is having this this moving goalpost. And you know, there's such a huge gap between knowing what to do and then doing it, mm-hmm. um, because volatility makes all of us stupid. I you know, I talk in the Laws of Wealth, my my new book, about uh, research that was done that shows that the average investor loses 13% of their IQ during periods of market volatility. And, you know, frankly, some folks don't have an extra 13 percent they're working with. And so and so when they're, you know, even if they know, even if you've taught them all the right lessons, uh, they're sort of out the door when you need them most, which is why I think it's so crucial uh, that in addition to the education that that, you know, I do and that folks like you do, they also need someone to hold their hand in that moment of fear walk them back and, and sort of intervene and say, look, you you can't do this. You're going to you're going to hurt yourself mm-hmm. because, of course, we want we want all the wrong things at the wrong time. Right. We want uh, when when the U.S. market has run up seven years, eight years in a row. Now we get excited about the U.S. when it's expensive and unattractive. So we are we are wired to be horrible investors. I mean, I say uh, I say that God or nature couldn't have created A worse investor than you or I, uh, which is why we need someone to, you know, sort of hold our hands and walk us through it.
0: All right. Before we sign off this segment, I should remind everybody that we have uh, our next seminar coming up on Tuesday, May 29th. We're holding that at uh, seven o'clock standard time, regular time, seven, eight o'clock at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Give us a call at 966-8400 to register for that or go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Our conversation continues with Daniel Crosby after the break, so join us after this break on 770 CHQR and More Than Money.